0: Good morning, church family. I always look forward to this time of year, and especially this particular Sunday when we get to hear our Noah's Ark children sing. It's just amazing. Even, even like at a young age, you can see personalities coming forth, can't you? And It's nice to know. I have to tell the, the praise team that we've got a future drummer and sound mixer on our hands. Um, they'll be excited about that. And I want to echo what David said. I'm especially thankful to those of you who serve our children in Noah's Ark and Kids Rock. I read an article recently by a church consultant who noted that in the post-pandemic world, as people have begun to return to church, oftentimes they're slower to return to serving in their church. And just as a result, I want you to know that we are especially grateful to those of you who are serving right now with our kids because it 's a ministry that matters to Jesus, uh, Jesus attaches a very high value to children and uh, just a- as a result, I-, I think we as a church should be excited anytime we see kids coming in the door Psalm one twenty seven tells us that, that children are a heritage from the Lord, and so i 'd even go so far as say is, you know whenever a you know a mom or a dad or a grandma or a granddad or an uncle have the opportunity to welcome. A new child into the world, it is cause for excitement. It's an occasion for celebration. And that's why maybe as you've driven through the neighborhood at times, maybe you've seen the, uh, the pink or blue balloons tied to a mailbox, right? Or maybe you've seen the big stork in the yard holding in its beak the cloth bundle. Or maybe some of you even had a dad who passed out cigars. When you entered the world, it's a, and it, it's an occasion. Uh, you know, um, for 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 many dads, I know we don't mix like tobacco in the maternity ward now, but you know, but but back in the day, it was such a momentous occasion that it was common for a dad to want to remember that, to mark that, by participating in a, this celebratory act that he could share with with friends and coworkers. Now, as as excited as you might have been for the arrival of your child or a grandchild or a niece or nephew, I'm guessing you didn't spend over a couple of hundred dollars celebrating their entry into the world, right? Well, that's not the case for our friends across the pond. Uh, The people of the United Kingdom were so excited to welcome the first child of Prince William and Kate Middleton that the Royal Mint commissioned a commemorative coin. And if you recall, Prince George's arrival into the world was heralded with the ringing of bells at Westminster Abbey and countless other churches across the countryside. There were 21 gun salutes across the Commonwealth. Cannons were fired and landmarks were illuminated. It was the feature story of every newspaper. And the good people of Great Britain, they purchased royal-themed baby goods and party supplies to the tune of, are you ready for this? three hundred million dollars. Now if you had been living on a remote island and you had suddenly found yourself in London on that July day in 2013 when Prince George entered the world, what conclusion might you have come to as a result of all the pomp and revelry? You'd probably have to think to yourself that there must be something pretty special about this kid, right? Well. I would say as as impressive as it might be to have your entrance into the world trumpeted with 21 gun salutes and gilded easels and commemorative coins, there is one birth announcement that tops that. The Sweet family gave us a preview of it, but if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, and we'll be in chapter 2. Begin reading here in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. That's Mary. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Jesus has just been born. Now watch what happens next. Like Like a proud papa wanting to shout, it's a boy or it's a girl or a new mother eager to share pictures with friends and family. All of heaven is so overcome with emotion over the entry of Jesus into the world that silence is not an option. All of heaven knows that this is not just another starry night in Bethlehem. This is monumental. The eternally begotten Son of God, the one who created the world and everything in it, has just entered into his own creation as a child. And so God orchestrates a birth announcement of sorts. Picking up now in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Think with me for a moment about this special announcement. Luke tells us that it's night, We know that there were no street lights out in these fields. There's no skyscrapers to give off ambient light. It's dark out. And in the midst of this darkness, an angel appears. And we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around them. That word glory in the Greek has a connotation of splendor or brightness. When Luke mentions this flash of light that appears at the Apostle Paul's conversion, causing him to fall to the ground, it's the same word used here to describe the radiance of the Lord. This is brilliant. This is stunning light. Think Clark Griswold's house, and then like multiply that by 100, all right? So, so we have this stunning bright light in the midst of a dark night. And the contrast is deliberate on God's part. He's he's sending a message to earth. He's juxtaposing human darkness and divine light. The, the, The skies themselves are reflecting a spiritual reality that is taking place. With this unexpected piercing of the darkness, God is announcing that the prophecy in Isaiah 9 is coming true. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone." Or just think about the lyrics to O Holy Night. Long lay the world, as uh, Zion sang for us earlier, in sin and error pining, till what? Till He appeared. So this brilliant light that penetrates the darkness is emblematic of, of, of what we sing about in Silent Night when we say that it's the dawn of redeeming grace. Now, not only is, is, the, is the timing of this message significant, so is the audience. One of the themes of Luke's gospel is that of a great reversal. In Luke chapter 1, verse 52, uh, when Mary uh, exclaims, she, she sings her magnific- magnificant. This is one of the things that she says, that he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And if you've read the gospel accounts, you've seen how this plays out in Jesus' earthly ministry. You know that it was Jesus who exalted the lowly beggar Lazarus, and uh, he cast down that exalted rich man He elevates the lowly widow at the temple who gave the two small copper coins over the wealthy who were stuffing all of their coins into the offering box. In his parables and in his ministry, Jesus often, he he exalts those who are marginalized by society. He, uh, He builds up the Samaritan or the repentant tax collector or the, the woman at the well. Or just think of the fact that the very first person that Jesus appears to after his resurrection is a woman. We see God's concern for the, for the exaltation of the humble. And we even see it at the birth of Jesus. The angel doesn't go and appear at a, at a dinner party in one of the gated communities of Jerusalem. Uh, the angel doesn't appear in the halls of the Sanhedrin or somewhere in Herod's palace. In fact, the angel doesn't appear anywhere near the epicenter of political or social power. The angel appears to shepherds in a field. Now, I know some of you probably have a romanticized vision of shepherding. Cottagecore has become popular, perhaps even trendy. Now, we're going to need to see, like, a millennial or a Gen Zer after the service to get a full explanation of this, but as I understand it, it's this social media movement that has fostered the idea of living a simple bucolic lifestyle. So it's this nostalgic nod to the old-time rural life. You know the stuff like making your own soap, sewing your own clothes, baking your own bread, dabbling in a little gardening, and then preserving your own fruits and vegetables. Maybe even throw in some farm animals and some antique furniture and, you know, um, round things out and eat on some vintage, vi- in, on some vintage dishware. And uh, it, it, in, in case any of you are um, sort of idealizing these shepherds, just so you know, back in the day, uh, 2,000 years ago, people didn't look at those tending sheep and think, oh, isn't it wonderful how they're embracing this simple, sustainable existence that's harmonious with nature, and look at their quaint clothing. It it wasn't like that. Um, In fact, it was the other way around. Nobody went to see their guidance counselor for advice on how to become a shepherd. We know from um, these two ancient documents, the Mishnah and the Talmud, that herdsmen, along with tax collectors and gamblers, were listed as despised trades. Trades. So these nomadic shepherds were were separated from others for extended periods of time. And so uh, generally speaking, they lacked certain social graces and were subject to suspicion. And yet God comes and he chooses to make this momentous birth announcement known to shepherds, to those who were on the fringe of society. And I just want you to think about what that means if you feel marginalized right now for any reason if you feel like you're not accepted maybe by your peers or students by your classmates think about what this means God is for you what we see in scripture in fact is that, is that God has a, a special concern for outsiders for the downtrodden for the abandoned. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're called to mirror that, not in a patronizing way, but in a way that reflects the the heart of God. And as we continue reading, we see that the shepherd's reaction to the appearance of God's messenger is pretty much identical to every other angel encounter we read about in Scripture. They are filled with great fear, we, we decorate our homes this time of year with angels. In fact, um, out there in the, in the trees, in the coffee bar, we have some angel ornaments hanging on those trees, but in scripture, whenever an angel pays someone a visit, uh, that person's first thought isn't, oh, you're so cute. You know, I, I would love to make you into a cookie cutter. <laughs> That's not the reaction. It's one of Fear. Their presence is, is startling and unsettling. And so, before the angel can even deliver the message, what we see is that fear needs to be removed as an obstacle so that, so that this person can hear from God. And beginning now in verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not. In other words, I am not here to scare you. In fact, it is, it is quite the opposite. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. If we were to translate the end of verse 9 quite literally, it ends with us being told that the shepherds feared a great fear. Now in verse 10, we move from great fear to great what? Great joy. The angel declares to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. It's individualized, and yet there is this, Proclamation that the good news of great joy is for who else? It's for all the people. It's universal. And this verse was an encouragement to me this week. You know, we don't have biographies on these shepherds, but I would suspect that much like us, none of them had a perfect life. I'm guessing some had money problems, maybe some had family problems or marriage problems. Maybe a few of them had health problems. Given what we know of mortality rates back then, I'm guessing it's fair to say that some of them had recently lost a a parent or a child. Maybe some of them didn't even like their job or their boss. Maybe some of them were single and feeling lonely. We, we don't know all the issues represented among those herdsmen. But here's what we know. An angel arrives on the scene and insists that this news is so good that they could enter into great joy. And then that great joy is extended to us as well. And I, and I know for many in this room that this has been a hard year. As you gather for that special Christmas dinner, there might be an absence around the table that reminds you of that. I know for some that this year has been marked by some serious health challenges. I know for others of you uh, that this year has been hard as you've watched your grown children make some decisions that are really painful. And yet, God sent his messenger to declare, to insist that what happened on this particular night is is so profound, it's so special, that in the midst of the pain and the heartache and the disappointment, that there can still be great joy. And the angels go on to reveal why that's the case. Here's the reason. This is their argument. We we read in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Pastor David is often taught on the benefits of biblical meditation. I just encourage you, the next time you want to stir up your faith, you could consider these three titles of Jesus. You know, there's many titles for Jesus that we see in scripture, many descriptions. He's, he's called Wonderful Counselor, he's called Lamb of God. But maybe just try taking these three that have been revealed by the angels and ponder what they mean and apply them to your situation. As an example, we're told that Jesus is savior. Well, what is a savior? A Savior is one who rescues you from your enemies or some danger or a dire circumstance. So so Jesus, as Savior, is the one who can safely deliver you from every danger, toil, and snare. Whatever situation you might find yourself in, even if you're confronting the greatest threat of all, death itself, guess who's able to deliver you from that? Jesus because he's the one who's conquered death. The grave has no hold on him. And as a result, the grave has no hold on those who are in him. That second title is Christ. Some of you might have a, a translation that reads Messiah instead of Christ. Both words mean anointed one. Messiah is simply derived from the Hebrew and Christ is from the Greek. And so they're synonyms. And I know today many of us are accustomed to sort of thinking of Christ as Jesus' last name, but the word is actually a title, so that when we read the words Jesus Christ, what is being conveyed is Jesus the anointed. And throughout the Old Testament, it was kings who were anointed. Uh, The prophet Samuel anoints Saul, and then David, and, and you know that tradition of anointing a monarch still continues to this day. Some years ago, I recall watching footage of Queen Elizabeth's coronation ceremony. Maybe some of you have seen this as well. The, the pageantry was really quite impressive. But if you watch the footage, you know that that actual act of consecration where the Archbishop of Canterbury anointed Elizabeth, it was considered so sacred that this golden canopy that was carried by these four knights of garter was come and it was, it was sort of suspended over her blocking out the cameras while she was anointed. It will be interesting to see if that tradition is continued in May of uh, this coming year when King Charles III is anointed. And if I had to guess, I'm going to bet on the fact that the English people love some tradition, so I'm going with yes. But, but, But here's what we see. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this expectation that God would send a future king linked to the Davidic dynasty, a descendant of David, to fulfill his redemptive purposes. This anointed one is the one who's going to come and make things right. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, you know that in Narnia, it's always winter, but never what? Christmas, right? Um, Narnia is under the spell of, of, of the white witch. But the fawns and the beavers and the other animals they're familiar with this ancient prophecy that when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve sit on the, on the four thrones at Caraparavel, that spell is gonna to come to an end. Likewise, all of Israel is looking forward to the arrival of the anointed one for similar reasons. And the shepherds are told that this baby is the promised one. He is the coming king. And then finally, we're told that Jesus is Lord. And the immediate context here helps us understand the meaning of this word. We're told that it was the angel of who who appeared to the shepherds? The angel of the Lord, right? And it's the glory of the Lord that shone around them. You know, In, in John 17:5, uh, as uh, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, it's his last night, and he, he prays that high priestly prayer. He says this, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so the one who is able to dispatch angels, the one who has angels at his command, the one who dwells in glory in this radiant, unapproachable light, is the one who takes on human form. And and then it's as if the angel says, hey, don't just take my word for it. You need to go check this out for yourselves. Beginning in verse 12, we see this. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In other words, here is how you can validate my claims. You will find this baby, this Christ, the Messiah, You'll you'll find him not in a palace or at a gilded bassinet, but in the most unusual of circumstances, a place that you would never think to look for a baby, period. He'll be lying in a feeding trough. And at the conclusion of this message, all of heaven explodes in praise. This is God's version of the 21-gun salute. He pulls back the curtain of heaven, and suddenly, or we could say unexpectedly, because really the word here, it conveys the unusualness of this activity just as much as it does how quickly it occurs. So suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That word for host can also be translated armies. Uh, The note in my ESV study Bible says this would be thousands of angels. So this formation of angels is is beyond count. And these marshaled angels are, are revealing to the shepherds what Jesus' coming means. For a brief moment in time, heaven addresses earth. Because this is the most amazing event that has ever happened. We read in the book of Job that at the creation of the world, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, Most commentators understand this to be metaphorical ways of referring to the angels. And now what we see is the angels once more join their voices as Jesus begins his work of reversing the curse of sin, of bringing life where death has reigned, of recreating the fact that God sent His eternally begotten Son, the, the, the Creator, goes about as low as you can go. The fact that He, he is, is, is born in this backwood, backwater province of the Roman Empire to two poor present parents, and He enters into this barn with, with stinky animals in order to redeem His fallen creation is just cause for all of heaven to erupt into praise and the angels sing glory to god in the highest praise him and while that praise is directed upward to god for the outworking of his plan of salvation we also see that peace is extended downward on earth among those with whom he is pleased you know in scripture there are different kinds of peace. There is the peace that's promised in Isaiah when we're told that God is going to come at a future point in time and He's going to judge between the nations. We read this, it says that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But this isn't the peace that is extended here at Jesus' first coming. We know that because during Jesus' earthly ministry, he would look at his disciples, and as he's talking about the end times, he would say, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. He says that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So if it's not that kind of peace, what sort of peace is being offered? Well, it's the most important peace that any of us could ever acquire, it's peace with God. And that's a peace that all of us need. Because without a Savior for our sins, none of us can experience that peace. You see, there's this separation that exists between us and God. There's enmity between us and Him. And that enmity, that separation exists because all of us have failed to honor Him as God at times. We have gone and we've lived life on our own terms and we've suppressed the truth of His existence and we've done as we've wanted and not as He's desired. And we can't say, hey, well, I know how I'm going to make peace with God. I'm, I'm just going to go and I'm going to serve down at the soup kitchen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a better job of living by the golden rule. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, well, when I'm in the mall and I see that thing for the angel tree, I'm going to buy a gift this year. And then, and God, if I do these things, then, then things, are, things are kosher between you and me, right? But you see, if we could deal with our sin problem simply by living a more virtuous life, by trying to do more good than we've done bad, then there would have been no need for Jesus to come. See, the problem with trying to achieve peace with God on our own merit is that none of us ever live a perfect life and measure up to God's holy standard. So what happens is we need someone to broker that peace for us. We can't acquire it through our own effort. And God, out of His great love for us as uh, As David reminded us earlier when we prayed, that it was God who so loved the world, what He did is He provided us a Savior, and that Savior was His eternally begotten Son. And the reason that the angels could come and they could declare peace on earth is because we read this in Isaiah 53, 5, talking about Jesus. It says that He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, And upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Say it with me. Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You see, what happens when we place our faith in Jesus, when we embrace him as Savior, when we say, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, what happens is he absorbs the penalty for our sin. He deals with that punishment. And what happens is we get his perfect righteousness imputed to us. And there's now peace between us and God. Our sin has been dealt with and there's no longer any enmity in that relationship. Romans 5.1 puts it like this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified, we're, we're made righteous. It's just as if we've never sinned. And this happens by faith, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we place our faith in Him, we have that peace with God. You know, Jesus came to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And one of the results of the curse of sin is death. But when we embrace Him, We're given new life for what elsewhere in Scripture is called everlasting life. And I can't help but think of the words of of Charles Wesley's great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where it says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. You see what the the angels were making known when they proclaimed peace. It was essentially a synonym for salvation. And that peace that's offered to us is is a peace that comes from being in a light relationship with God, and it's a peace that then leads to everlasting life because He gives us His life, and we're not separated from Him. But you know, not all of humanity will experience this peace. Well, we saw that the peace is extended among those with whom He is pleased. It's specific about that. And so the question is, well, who is God pleased with? Who gets this peace? And what we see in Scripture is that He is happy with those who are humble, with those who who recognize their need for a Savior, with those who recognize their spiritual poverty, And willingly embrace that one who was born in a manger, in a a stinky stable, as Lord, as the Christ. And I want to invite us all right now just just to bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we come before you now. And I know some here are considering Christianity. They're considering whether or not they want to buy in to what the angels have made known and embrace this as truth. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray for you what might be just a dangerous prayer. Just, just to say, God, I want to be open to the possibility that what the angel said is true. Lord, I've, maybe I've been closed off to this in the past, but Lord, help me to give this real thought. And when the time comes uh, after you've investigated this and you do want to embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you want to experience that peace with God, you can say a prayer like this or you can even say it now if you're ready. You can say, God, I want to thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. And I believe right now that He is the promised one. And that He can rescue me from my sins and restore my relationship with you. And because I'm acknowledging Him to be King and Lord, I want to live for Him all of my days. And Lord, for those of us that have prayed that prayer, I pray that You, the God of hope, that you would fill us with your joy, with your peace. I think of what it says in the Psalms where you say, taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that this Christmas, in the midst of whatever hard things we might have had happen this year, that you would be so near to us, that we would be so filled with your spirit, that we would experience the great joy that you would want to extend and the peace of Christ that you provide. Jesus, that peace that you looked at your disciples and said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you, that that peace would be so real that these coming days would bring good tidings of great joy to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.